Welcome to another episode of The Zag. This is Eric talking today with NLC LA alum from 2010, my class, Betsy. Betsy is a media mogul, among other things. Excited to hear <laughs> all the different stuff she's doing. She has a great laugh, which you already heard, but let's get started. Thanks for listening to The Zag. All right. Betsy, I'm excited because you actually know stuff about podcasts because you have your own podcast. So we are brand new. So thank you for hopping on. But tell us a little bit about your podcast that you have going right now. So I have a podcast and newsletter called The Currently. And in The Currently, we talk about all things millennials. So we talk about politics, social justice, current events, pop culture, and the intersection of all of those things. And then every once in a while, I'll throw in a random personal development topic just because that's a an interest and passion of mine. And are you bringing on guests every week or sometimes just you talking or what's the So it's guests and then I allow myself 10 minutes in the beginning to speak about whatever uh, is exciting me or upsetting me, depending on what's going on in the political world. Nice. And I was half kidding about the media mogul part, but I kind of think you're right. So, you know, the last couple months you've been doing a lot of different things besides podcasting. What else do you have going on? Yeah, so I took a big leap in November of last year, and I left my full-time job. Uh, I I had been doing politics and advocacy and community engagement work for about nine years, and I left that to launch into the digital media world, and my fiancé and I launched our creative studio called Born and Dream Creative. We do branding, design, original illustration. Well, he does a lot of that, and I do content creation, marketing, um, social media strategy, and you can follow us on Instagram if you want to see more of our work at Born in June Creative on Instagram. Yeah, and I feel like I'm talking to more people lately who have a similar desire, similar itch to go out on their own. What were the main factors that led you to make the leap yourself? So it's something that I always had in the back of my mind. And I was actually thinking um, before we got on the phone about how NLC was one of the first places where I actually allowed myself to think that that was a possibility. I don't know if this is something that still happens, but back in the day in 2010, <laughs> we used to do the Life Entrepreneurial Program, I think it was called. Still happens every first time that the fellows get together. Yeah, and that was one of the times where I, when they, the exercise where you have to imagine what your life is like, I think is something, something like that. And I remember thinking, I worked from home, I was self-employed, and I was also a writer. And those are actually things that slowly but surely, um, I'm not, I haven't written a book yet, but I know it's going to happen. But I, I do also um, publish my writing um, on the internet pretty regularly, and I've been lucky enough to be in some pretty big sites like Vox and Forbes, Marie Claire. And I feel like NLC kind of was the first place where I was able to really allow myself to explore that because that back then I was in a pretty steady nine to five nonprofit job with Planned Parenthood, which was a great experience that informs a lot of what I do today. Um, So I think I did this at the right time because I had that experience and um, kind of discipline that comes with working um, in these very demanding nonprofit political jobs. And I can now apply that to being self-employed, which requires an extreme amount of discipline, by the way. Well, so you can ask, like when you're having the conversation with your fiance, how much of it is hey, this is really what I want to do. This is my desire. How much of it is, are we going to have enough money to make this work? How is it going to work logistically with our lives? Like, what does the actual conversation sound like? So the actual, I think, spark to really get this into motion for me was after I had my son, we have a soon-to-be four-year-old. 
And I was actually laid off to a month after he was born. And so I was home for about a year with him. And I really had time to think about, okay, now that that has been taken away from me, what do I really want to do with myself? And so that's when I said, well, you know what? It's now or never. I I believe that if we want to teach our kids to dream big, we have to lead by example. And so I really allowed myself to think bigger about what I wanted to do. Um, and so even though I got a full-time job, thankfully, at another nonprofit, I'm working in um, education reform, uh, specifically on the community engagement and advocacy side, I was moonlighting. I was taking on clients, doing, creating their social content, producing a podcast, pitching my own writing and, and getting published fairly regularly. Um, I joined a board of of an organization called BinderCon that uh, works to elevate the voices of women and gender nonconforming writers. So I was super busy. It was like I had two full-time jobs basically for, for two years uh, because I was preparing to make this move. And then eventually um, I had enough clients where it felt like I had to make a choice. Either I was going to continue down this a little bit more straight and narrow nine to five path that I had been on, or I was going to take the leap and take a risk. So I I think that's a decision that everybody can make, has to make on their own. Um, And then my fiance was also doing the same thing. He had a full-time job and then he was also taking clients and we didn't plan it this way, but it's so it just happened that I left in November and then he ended up leaving in December. Um, And so then we thought to really formalize this and make it into a creative studio and merge what we both know and sell it as a package. And sort of like the nuts and bolts of healthcare and monthly income flow, like how does all that get sorted out between the two of you? That is a great question. So healthcare is expensive uh, because we are both paying, like paying for this now as self-employed. So that's something that we have to factor in when we're thinking about how we charge clients and what kind of clients we take on. We have to factor in operation costs. We have to factor in cost of doing business at home, whether it's the internet or whether it's if we have to buy certain materials or elements to be able to service the clients, we have to factor all that in into our pricing. And so it's a learning curve. I mean, I think this year I have never been so terrified and uncomfortable in my life. Aside from maybe when I first became a mom, but I have also never been so excited about uh, what's coming next. And I, I think um, anything that is exciting and has a high reward has a risk involved. And so I, you know, we assume that risk and we take it one day at a time and we work hard and we check in very regularly and try to have meetings. And I think there's two elements to being self-employed. There's handling the business and then there's working on the business so there's the time where we're actually working on client work and deliverables and then there's a time where we're thinking of who else are we going to pitch where are the warm leads what networking events should we go to who should we reach out to that might be able to get us in touch with additional business so it's every day is different and it's it's very um scary i won't i will not lie but it's also exciting so check it check back in with me in a year and then i'll I'll tell you how i'm doing on that front but for now it's going to be a year in a few weeks and it's been uh really fast and i have no absolutely no regrets so then of the content that you're you're making or you're supporting people making what's the most fun for you to create um I really love writing. I really love that part is like helping people 
find their brand voice and helping create content around that. And I think social media is also very exciting for me because it's evolving so quickly that it forces you to always keep learning something new and stay on your toes um, and start figuring out how you incorporate the new, um, whether it's data that's available for Instagram or thinking about Insta stories and how you can incorporate that, uh, even in my own personal brand and into my clients and figuring out how can we best tell the story and how can we best connect you um, to your audience. Because I think one of the things that our generation is very interested in is we don't just want to buy something because it's a brand and we want to rock that brand, which is what would happen in the past decades, we really want to know that we are buying into someone's mission and that we're buying into a lifestyle, so to say. And so we want more transparency. We want to know where our food comes from. We want to know that our clothes were ethically made. And I actually see that being a tie into, you know, the progressive values and some of the training um, that I obtained during NLC. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to see that people are more in tune with um, making sure that the people they are, the products they're consuming and the people they're shopping uh, from, whether it's the CEO of Uber and what board they're on or whatever it is, or, you know, him being crazy, which he totally was. Sorry, I think he is. Uh, you know, like we want to make sure that we're putting our money in a place that aligns with our values. And I think that's a really exciting time um, for progressives in that way. And I also think that my progressive values and my fiancés, it definitely does inform what clients we want to work with and what kind of businesses or causes we want to elevate with our skill set. Makes sense. When we come back, we're going to ask Betsy about some topical things, and then I want to ask her about what it takes to be a cool mom and raise a progressive, <laughs> raise a progressive kid. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back at the Zag. So you and I worked at the same place, Kip LA Schools. Uh, I was there six and a half years. You were there a good chunk of time, too. Looking back at that time working in schools, and especially after the, the school board race with Nick and Steve and, and all the drama around those things, what are your reflections about the state of LA schools, the state of LA parents? Is there engaging with schools? What are your thoughts on all that? Oh man, that could be a whole topic unto itself. You know, I've I've had a little bit of experience. I have a my son is four. He's going to be four in a few weeks. So we were looking at the preschool process, and we had to put him in school when he was two and a half because we are working parents, and so we needed somewhere a facility for that. And we started looking into LUSD schools because he was going to be four, and our son um, has special needs, so we had the IEP done, and so I went through that whole process of a special needs child with LAUSD. And I can say that um, I can totally understand why parents need and want more choices now. I always knew that, but now I understand it firsthand, especially for a special needs child. I think there's definitely more work that needs to be done. I think parents need a lot of education to be able to navigate and really uh, advocate for themselves within the LAUSD system. And so I think we need to bring our parents much more into the conversation and really think about when LAUSD is thinking about their systems and how they're formulating programs, there needs to be more of a lens of what is the perspective of a parent, of a working parent, which a majority of our parents in LAUSD are, what is the perspective of, of that parent when they're navigating this program? And the other thing is that I immediately noticed so many disparities. Our son, we live in East LA in City Terrace. Um, and for a variety of reasons, our son goes to a private preschool in Silver Lake. 
And from the experiences that some of the Silver Lake parents were having when they were trying to figure out if they should put their child in a public preschool in the Hollywood Silver Lake area, they were immediately given a different set of resources than the ones I was given when I looked into my East LA uh, preschools. And so I think that continuous disparity and inequity of services, of even customer service that is given to people depending on what part of the city of LA they live in, I think that is just something that's not a standard that we need to continue to repeat in this city. And I think it, it, it harbors and it, it continues to perpetuate inequality among our students. It sets up so that children from the moment they start school, there's a different set of expectations for them. Uh, and there's a certain assumption that I feel is made about parents who live in certain parts of the district. Um, that was very much, that was very palpable to me as I was interacting with the system in LUSD so specifically. As you're thinking about kindergarten, then obviously there's a lot of things to think about public, private, charter, traditional, what kind of thoughts do you have about the demographic mix of the school itself? Because what you're talking about um, in that last example there with the different set of resources that maybe one family group has compared to another one, mm-hmm. uh, you obviously have lots of strength and, and cultural capital that the families in Silver Lake wouldn't have access to. So you'd be an asset to any school community, of course. But yeah, how do you sort of view the diverse by design idea? Are you looking for schools that would have a, a pretty mixed uh, student population? I'm looking for schools that would have a mixed student population. And in fact, that's one of the key things that attracted me to the school where he is currently at, which is a private preschool. Um, they have, you know, children from over 35 different backgrounds and nationalities, and that's something that's very much celebrated and regarded. Um, and so that is something that I'm very interested in to, for my son to have um, as I think about the future. So, yeah, we're going to have to make some pretty big decisions in kindergarten. And again, I think this is where being self-employed is something I didn't mention, but being able to have a, a schedule that adapts to the needs of my family and my son specifically because he does have special needs was definitely a consideration when I became self-employed and so and I realized the immense the immense privilege I have and we both have and my fiance and I being able to to have that for now um and again my mind always goes back to I think that's because that's where my work was for a long time it always goes back to those parents who don't have resources and what are we doing to level the playing field as much as we can for children all over the city uh, because I think that's really going to impact what Los Angeles looks like in 20 30 years and did you have any thoughts on the board races were you because you weren't in any of the board districts or were you in Monica's district I am in, I'm actually on the border between Monica and Ref's district. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, just maybe then as an outside observer of the Nick Steve race or the Kelly race, what were your thoughts on all that? You know, (laughs) hold on, I'm trying to, there's like two parts of me, right? There's like the political side of me that's always diplomatic. And then there's the other side of me. Keep it real. You know, I, I think that I am an advocate for families and children, um, First and foremost, and I think these conversations are, you know, I had them for two years in my role at KIPP doing advocacy and community engagement. And I think they're really, they're really difficult conversations. But ultimately for me is as a parent and from a parent perspective, because that's where a lot of my work has been working with underserved families is that we need to give them as many options as possible. And the parents are going to go where they feel their children's needs are best met. 
and that is the reality and the reality is that there's the parents who can when I was young I went to an LUSD school in the city of Maywood my parents moved out of there as soon as they could to the city of Downey because that was a city that had its own school district and had better performing schools and that's the reality that parents who can are going to try to find the best possible school parents who have even the smallest amount of resources are going to try to find the best school for their kids and that's the reality so when I hear about LUSD's enrollment numbers dropping to me that's just symptomatic of the fact that parents want better resources for their kids and that we need to elevate the standard for every school because we know that there's a lot of other kids who are probably the ones who need the most support whose parents don't have resources to move out to a city where homes are super unaffordable and expensive or rent is really expensive and those parents need to have good schools for their kids so to me that is ultimately the bottom line for me like what is best for kids and what is best for parents and for now what's best for parents is that they have options like high quality performing charter schools and I say that not just because I worked for one of the highest performing um, charter school networks I say that as somebody who lives and breathes in the community of East LA because honestly I and I know this is a divide between people in the progressive movement and you and I have had these tough conversations with some of our dear friends that we agree on with everything else but to me if you live in East Los Angeles and you are sending your child to public school let's talk but if you're someone who either doesn't have children or your children go to private school or you live in a good part of the district then I, I'm not going to entertain a conversation with you about how we shouldn't have charter schools and we shouldn't have options for our families all right I like it um <laughs> yes <laughs> I, we've had many of those conversations I got, I got all fired up didn't I I like it. That's good. We need more Fired Up um, on the Zag podcast, home of Fired Up people. Listen, last question. What, uh, what's your strategy for raising a progressive kid? I was, we did another episode a couple of days ago with uh, Danielle Tenner, who's a 2015 uh, fellow, and she's got a two-year-old. And so, yeah, she had some interesting ideas on, on how to raise a progressive kid. But your kid's double that age, four years old. What are your, what are your plans to make sure the kiddo turns out right? Well, I mean, for starters, he's consistently immersed in conversation about these topics. And um, I've, I'm also very deliberate about what books he purchases. Um, and I also thought about that when I was looking for a preschool for him. One of the first things his preschool director told me that I really liked is she said, you know, we make sure that we have kids here. We have books in the school that feature children of a diverse set of race and that we're featuring books with LGBTQ families. I know there isn't that many, but we try to really source our library um, in a very intentional way. And that's something I, I do at home. You know, there's a there's a really good book that I recommend for anyone that you can start reading when they're really young. It's called A is for Activists. And it's an, it's an, it's an alphabet book of a lot of activists in social justice terms. So it'll say like U is for Union and M is for Malcolm X. And so I think there's a lot of not a lot, but there is resources out there that you can um, you can utilize to really start uh, cementing some of these values. Another thing I've done is that I was a contributor for a parenting site called Mom.me for two years, and I would write a lot about these issues with the social justice lens. So even though it was a traditional parenting blog, as you would call it, I would try. To, I wrote a piece um, about you know better ways to raise your son, and a lot of it was how do you infuse you know, feminist values to your son. And it's, it's, it can start even when, with my baby shower, I asked for gender neutral clothing. I asked that, you know, I didn't purchase clothing for my son that said things like hero or like, 
or brave. Not because I don't want him to be those things, but because I noticed that it was very gendered. You don't see clothes for little baby girls saying a lot of the, that messaging, whereas with, with boys, it's very intentional. And one of the things that I see now that I'm a son, now that I'm a mom of a son, is that, you know, girls can be anything they want. But masculinity, however, still has to fit within this very limited set of rules. Um, and it starts from boys not being able to properly express their feelings or have a range of emotions. Women, we are, for the most part, allowed that. Whereas boys, there's still a limited um, range for that. And so there's this great documentary called The Mask You Live In, which I think everyone should watch, but especially if you have little boys and it talks about that and it talks about the effects of toxic masculinity in our society and a lot of the violence against women so at first you know when I heard I was going to have a son I thought well I was ready to raise like my little feminist warrior girl (laughs) I said so what am I going to do with the son and then I realized what a beautiful opportunity is because ultimately a lot of the changes that we as progressives want to see in our society they're not going to happen unless we are intentional about how we raise our girls. Yes, and yes, you can be whatever you want and do everything and be anything, except for president, apparently, for now. Um, But we need to also open up the discussion with boys. And then I think the single most important thing, if I was going to say something, is the way that you and your partner run your household and discuss these issues and share duties and responsibilities, I believe that is the single most important way that you are going to teach your child everything there is to know about gender norms, about even social justice and all these different things. If you and your partner are having open conversations, your kids are not going to grow up thinking that talking about politics is taboo. If you and your partner share roles and responsibilities and it's not like, oh, mommy cooks all the, mommy works, but yes, she comes home and does all the cooking and cleaning. That's another way that we teach our kids about what is expected of of what gender and what the roles are. And so I, you know, Joshua and I are very intentional about that. And, you know, he grew up with a working mom. And so this is just kind of something that is ingrained in him. And we see the studies that indicate the same thing, you know, boys who grow up in those kind of households and even girls who grow up in households where dads share the responsibilities and duties, they tend to think that they tend to think that there is more possibilities for them when they're grown ups, as opposed to if they grow up in these very gendered houses. So if I were to say anything, I would say like, it starts in the home. I think the political is personal in that way. How we run our home, how we have these conversations really informs how we shape our kids. Well said. Good tips for all current parents, future parents, anyone who has a kid on the way or coming. Yeah, or even if you have a niece, oh, and yeah. notice if and notice if you're a nephew, if you have a if you have a niece, notice if you're always inclined to say, "Oh, you're so pretty." I mean, I'm sure your nieces are all beautiful, of course. My nieces are definitely. But just really think about what are the qualities we're, we're teaching children are celebrated in them from a very young age that are that are pretty based on gender. All right. That's it. That was a good conversation. Is that a good time for you? That's a great time for me. Uh, can you plug your stuff one more time? Because you're yeah. actually somebody with stuff to plug. We should take advantage of that. Hit it. For sure. So you can follow my personal Instagram on Betsy Aimee That's Betsy Aimee, A-I-M-E-E, C as in cat, on Instagram and on Facebook. And you can follow my creative studio at Born in June Creative on Instagram. And um, you can actually email me from either of those places if you want to get in touch, if you want to hear more about our services, or if you just want to chat more and hear me rant a little bit more. Maybe we can rant together. Feel free to reach out. Ranting is good. 
Thanks for tuning in to The Zag. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon. If you want to learn more about New Leaders Council, just visit la.newleaderscouncil.org. We'll talk to you soon.